Good morning, Third Street. Um, <laughs> my name is Rachel. I am, as Corey said, I'm his wife. I'm the first lady here at Third Street. Um, before we get started today, um, I just want to say one thing that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Um, I just want to shout out to all these high schoolers that sit right in the front every single week because nobody has ever asked them to do that. And when I was in high school, I was not sitting in the front row at church. And I'm just proud of them. And I'm so happy that my daughter gets to sit behind you guys and just see this row of women every single week. And so just thank you. You guys are awesome. That has nothing to do with anything. Um, <laughs> this week, we are continuing on in our series called Loyalty and Royalty, where we are looking at the life of Ruth as it is told in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And so two weeks ago when we kicked off this series in week one, we looked at who, who is Ruth? Uh, who is Ruth? Ruth is a Moabite who married into a family of Israelites, and then all of the men in that family died, and Ruth uh, had no children, and she went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they made their way back to Israel. And then in week two, we asked, who is Boaz? <laughs> because Boaz is another main character in this book of Ruth, and we learned that Boaz is a man of amazing character. He, uh, he was upholding the law. He was chasing after God at a time when Nobody else really was. Israel was sort of straying away from their roots, but Boaz was remaining faithful. And that's where we pick up today. Uh, here we are in week three, and we're going to continue looking at Boaz, uh, but we're going to look a little more at what he does and how he does it. And as I read through our passage for today, I came up with, um, well, I didn't come up with it, but I came away with these three main points, these three things that as I was reading chapter 2, verse 14 to the end, I just noticed these three things that Boaz did, and they amazed me, and they inspired me. And so those are going to be the three main points that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever it is that you read the Bible from, uh, go ahead and pull that out. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 14. So this says, at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted, and she still had some left over. We're going to stop right there. We're just going to look at verse 14 for a sec. So when I, when I read this, um, I'm reminded of what happened right before it. What happened right before it when Corey was talking last week was that Boaz had went and he had asked his foreman, hey, who's, who's this girl in my field? I've never seen her before. Tell me about her. And his foreman gave him this amazing report of who she was, about how hard she worked, about everything that she was doing, about how she'd been there all day, about how she came to this land that she was a foreigner in, and she was working so hard to provide for her mother-in-law. And, and Boaz was amazed. And then right here it says, at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here, help yourself to some food. And he invites her immediately to the table. Point one, Boaz gave quickly. 
He gave immediately. It doesn't say he watched her for a week to see if this was going to continue. It didn't say that he did some more digging past his foreman. Maybe this foreman is just a little bit biased. It doesn't say any of that. It says he gave. It says at mealtime, he called to her and invited her to his table. Boaz gave so quickly. And he didn't just give, he didn't just give a little bit. He didn't just like pat her on the back and say, hey, you're doing a really good job. It says she ate with his harvesters. Now this is, a, this is a huge deal right here. So Boaz, Boaz is the main guy over everything. It wasn't super common that someone who was running the show would come and eat with his workers. But we learned last week what an awesome band Boaz was. And it doesn't seem that this is, this is out of the norm for him to join his harvesters. But Boaz, Boaz pulled her to the table. She's an outsider. Now in Israel... They, they had these rules, they had these things that uh, sometimes we call them the Levitical laws. If you look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it's the third book in the Bible, you're going to see a whole ton of rules. And in those rules are some things that are written for people who are called gleaners and reapers. And Ruth was doing both. Gleaning and reaping, it meant that she was working on the outsides of the fields, and then she was following behind the harvesters, picking up the things that they dropped. And she was doing both of these things. And so right there in Levitical law is provision for the outsider. But what Boaz is doing here by bringing her to the table, he's showing, hey, I don't just know the law. I don't just abide by the law by letting her in my field. I understand the heart of the law. When he brings her to his table, he's not just saying, hey, we're going to follow the law. He's saying we're going to embody the law. What's written in Levitical law is provision for all people, no matter where they come from, no matter what socioeconomic status they are, no matter their marital status, their gender, ethnicity, cultural background, it doesn't matter. The law was written to give provision for all people. And Boaz grasped that. He deeply grasped that. And so he brings her to his table. He didn't just memorize the law. He grasped the heart of that. And because of that, he didn't just live out the rules. He made space at his table. <clears throat> so when I was thinking about this and, and what it means to have somebody join you at your table, I was reminded of a slightly funny time, but a really serious time to me. And that was the first time that Corey came with me to eat at my grandparents' house. So at this time, he knew, he knew my grandparents, he had met them, but we had never gone to grandma's house and had a meal in her house. And for, the, for those who know me, you might know I talk about this all the time because I'm so proud of it. I grew up in a giant Italian family. So if you took like my big fat Greek wedding and the godfather and married them, like that's my house. <laughs> that is where I grew up. It was big, it was loud, everybody lives within like two miles of each other. The men are like very stone-faced. They actually like sing the theme song to the godfather every Christmas when a godfather gift is given. It's real big. We're a very stereotypical Italian family. So in an Italian family, if, if they offer to feed you, that's like a rite of passage. So I'm bringing Corey to my grandparents' house, and, I'm, and I prep him in the car on the way over. I'm like, hey, odds are when we get there, grandma's going to be cooking. I don't care if you like it, you eat it. <laughs> so we walk in, and sure enough, 
grandma is cooking. We just walk in the door. She's like, hey, are you guys hungry? And I had told him on the way over. When she asked that, the answer is yes. So, so she says, are you guys hungry? And, and I see. So my grandma's old house, there was this kitchen. And then right off of it was the living room. And there's a fireplace with a rocking chair. A rocking chair. A lazy boy that my grandpa always sat in. And so she says, are you hungry? And Papa stands up. And he walks over to the table. And he sits down, and he, and he like, just pats the seat, because Papa was a man of few words. He just pats the seat and looks at Corey. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you better take that seat. <laughs> so he, he does. Corey's a smart man. So he sits down next to Papa, and I'm like, oh, not only is Grandma feeding him, but Papa just told him, I want you to sit next to me. I'm like, this is big. I'm just going to watch what happens. So Grandma then takes this plate and just heaps it. Like, so much food on this plate. Sets it down in front of Corey, and then she just starts telling stories. Because my grandma tells stories. Papa doesn't say anything, except every once in a while to correct her on a detail. But, so we're just sitting there, grandma's telling stories. Well, Corey finishes his plate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't prep him on taking seconds. (laughs) So he he finishes his plate, and grandma says, do you want some more? Now. Let me, again, decode some Italian for you. When an Italian asks you, do you want some more, what they're actually asking in that moment is, do you like my food and are you going to take more? Are you going to offend me to the core of my being? (laughs) Thankfully, Corey thought on his feet. or Well, he was sitting, but you get it. And he says, Grandma, this food was amazing, but I'm so full. And I'm like like watching. (laughs) And Papa just chuckles. And he says, okay, son. Because he and Papa knows that what Grandma heard in that moment just now was, he said, my food's amazing. More. And so every, literally for the rest of the time that we sat at that table, every time Corey turned his head, my grandma put more food on his plate. And he would just look back down like, where did this come from? And I'm just watching it like, you better eat it. And so... By the end of this meal, I swear to you, he had eaten enough food for like a month. But I was so happy because I'm like, oh, this, is, this was a rite of passage today, which just happened. And that's what I feel like was happening when Boaz brought Ruth to his table. He was showing approval. He was saying, hey, come and sit. Don't sit on the outside. Sit next to me. Don't eat whatever. Don't eat just this, the silliness that you can find. I want you to eat the good food that I have prepared. This was mine, but now it's yours. He was bringing her in. Boaz wasn't waiting for an opportunity. Boaz seized the opportunity. He wasn't sitting there saying, Hmm, um, this is a Moabite woman. What do I do with this? I know. I'll wait until the rest of Israel sees we have a Moabite, and then somebody's going to create Moabite Mondays, and then I'm going to show up for Moabite Mondays because i got a Moabite, and I'm going to love her, and, and that's the designated time for loving Moabites, so I'm going to wait for that to happen. He didn't say, ooh, I don't know if I have enough food. Let me, let me get everybody fed and then see what happens, and then I'll feed this woman. He didn't say, let, let everybody else take their seat, and if there's an extra seat, then I'll take that as a sign from God, and I'll let her sit with me. No. Boaz gave quickly. He took what he had. He saw someone worth honoring, and he gave to her. And so what are you waiting for? Who should you be celebrating right now 
Who is coming to your mind? That's probably the person. Who should you be celebrating? Whose plate do you need to fill and then refill when they're not looking because you don't need the credit? You just want to bless them. Who? Where are you calculating and planning yourself out of giving instead of just letting your heart lead? Let's go to verse 15 and keep it moving. Verse 15, it says, When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles. Drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town, showed it to her mother-in-law, and Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. So where did you gather all this grain, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who has helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. This man is one of our closest relatives. He is one of our family redeemers. Point two, Boaz gave abundantly. He gave abundantly. We see in there that he told the harvesters to drop the good stuff. He told them to intentionally pull things that they had worked to pick and drop them for her to pick up so that she had plenty, so that she had good stuff. When it says that she beat everything out and she had an entire basket's worth, each translation of scripture that you read communicates that differently, but they all kind of land on this same amount, which is four gallons of barley. That's a lot. That is a lot for a gleaner. It's a lot for somebody who's following behind a team of harvesters who are supposed to be taking everything. Four gallons is a ton. So that tells us two things. One, Boaz gave abundantly. And two, Ruth worked hard. Ruth worked hard. She didn't stop when she reached a certain point and was like, hey, well, you know, it's just me and Naomi. I got enough. She worked hard. She worked all day long. And then right after that, it says that she presented Naomi with what was left from lunch with the roasted grain that was left. Now, first off, roasted grain is this food that takes a whole process to prepare. This is, this is good food. I've never eaten roasted grain. But then it was something great, something to be celebrated when you ate it. And she provided leftovers. Now, leftovers were not common. What happened when there were leftovers was that the person who provided the meal got those, not the guest. This isn't like going to grandma's and you finish eating and she pulls out the Tupperware or some like washed out, I can't believe it's not butter tub, stuffs everything in and says, take this home, honey, this is for you. It's not like that. Leftovers did not go to a guest. Leftovers went to the provider because remember, something we need to remember about Boaz in the very beginning of this story. Why did Naomi leave Israel? Naomi left because there was a famine. Naomi left the very land that they are in right now because there was no food. Boaz stayed. Boaz lived through it. Boaz went through the famine. What happened then was Israelites, Israelites knew 
the blessing of food. They knew how to be frugal with their food. They didn't just give it to some random outsider who was at their table. But Boaz did. He gave abundantly. And what's implied here is that he didn't make food, set it out, and then give it, and then Ruth just like took a whole bunch. What's implied is that he said, this was mine, now it's yours, here is a whole ton. You do with this what you want. He gave abundantly. And so Naomi knows all these things, and she's seeing what Ruth brings back, like, oh my gosh, where were you? This is the first glimpse of a happy Naomi we've seen in two chapters. Remember, she changed her name to bitterness because she was so upset. But here she is, her faith being restored because she's seeing the way that God is providing for her family. Boaz did not keep a famine mentality. And that's what I think amazes me the most about this. Boaz, Boaz took that, that famine that he lived through and he left it there. He said, I know a God who always comes through. I know a God who always provides. And so I'm going to give generously because I've always had what I needed. And so I'm going to have faith in God and in his character and believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I know that I'm going to have everything I need. And so, Ruth, here you go. Let's keep going. Ruth 2. Uh, let's go to verse 21 and see, see what happens next. After Boaz gives abundantly, after we learn that he does. How does Ruth respond? Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. Last verse of chapter 2, it says, Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in the early summer, all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Point three, final point for today. Boaz gave without stipulations. The only actual instruction that we see him give to Ruth, because remember it says he invited her, to his table. She could have refused. The only instruction that he gives to Ruth this entire time is stay here. He says, stay here. He sees this woman who is an insanely hard worker. He doesn't try and capitalize on that. He doesn't say, you can collect, but then, hey, give me some back, because you're working hard, and you're getting a lot. You don't need all that, but good job collecting. He doesn't do that. He doesn't see her crazy hard work ethic and try and hire her in the fields. He doesn't try and capitalize on it. He doesn't give to her and say, hey, you know what? I've been super generous to you, so now you're indebted to me. He gives with no stipulations. And what does Ruth do? Ruth stayed. Ruth didn't run from her blessing. Ruth didn't, Ruth didn't say, hey, you know what? This is the first field I've been in. This is the first Israelite I've encountered, maybe they're all this nice. Let me, let me check out some other fields, see what we got going on out here, and then, you know what, then I'll make a decision based on where I go. She doesn't say, mm, this might be too good to be true. What I've experienced in my life was my husband died, I had no kids, I got nothing. Uh, this feels too good, I'm going to go somewhere else. 
Ruth takes the favor and the blessing that God is pouring out on her, and she stays right where she's at. She keeps acting in the character that brought all this on. She keeps working hard, and she stays. So where, where are you giving with expectation? Where are you giving with stipulations instead of a generous heart? Where are you giving because you think, mm, this will turn around and benefit me event- eventually? Or are you Ruth? Or do you need to be a little like Ruth? Where are you running because you're scared that it's too good where you're at? Where are you afraid to receive your blessing? Guys, we can take some serious lessons in generosity from just this small chunk of verses today. What if we were a church that gave quickly and abundantly and without any asterisk on the end? What if we were a people who just poured out our love, our money, our food, our time, our talents into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our families? What do you think it would look like if we took these examples of generous giving and put them into every single aspect of our life? I think it would look like kingdom come. Let's be a church and a people that don't ask what's in it for me, and instead we ask what's in it for them? What do I have that they can gain? What can I teach them? If I just started giving of my time, how would their life look different? Every single one of us are blessed people with something to offer. You know how I know every single one of us are blessed people? Because we got up this morning. Because we are here. Because every single person here is clothed. Because you made it here. You have something to give because you are a person created in the image of God. Jesus gave his entire life for us. He lived, he died, and he got back up so that we could find freedom and we could get up. What we're talking about today, we're not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about, mm, let me go home, all right, we have, today was a church sermon on giving, let me go home, let me check out my budget, all right, 10%, that feels nice. That's not what I'm talking about. When I read the New Testament, When I read about the life of Jesus, the only percentage that I see Jesus talking about is 100%. That's the only thing I see him say. 100% of Jesus got up from that grave, not 10. Live generously. Live generously. Boaz gave quickly. Boaz gave abundantly. And Boaz gave with no stipulations. Boaz did what God told him to do, and he did it without any hesitation or adaptation. So who do you know in your life right now that you need to start giving generously to? What people and places do you believe in and you want to start blessing with your time, with your talent, with your money, 